Yeah. Do you ever uh, have you? Jesus. Have you ever been <sighs> lying in bed? Refreshing taste of Corona Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to cool off in the middle of the winter. Corona Ultra with an orange. Talk over one another. Try to make and a salt. Open a pop. This is great. This is why no one listens to our show anymore. That. You think that's the reason? All of this. All <laughs> of what just happened. They can't get it through the intro bananasness that is. But then we don't want to miss clients. It's really not that hard. We're just giving you a little bit of entertainment at the beginning. Do you ever lay in bed at the end of the day and realize just as you're falling asleep that you forgot to take your creatine? <laughs> and then you come because so what? You, and then you think to yourself, if I miss it, it's <laughs> everything not, goes away. It, everything's gone. It's not even worth working out, really. And then you go down and you take it and dry scoop it. Possibly, oh, possibly yeah. dry scoop. I've it. dry scooped it like maybe eleven or twelve times. That's a lot of times. Describe that feeling to us. Why? I've never dry scooped anything else, which is it's already it's kind of like this creatine scoop isn't very much. No. Um, Compared to like other things, people dry scoop, but it tastes so awful by itself. It's unflavored. Yeah, but there's it tastes kind of like if you were to lick the wall. Oh, have you licked the wall before? Occasionally, a little bit. Oh boy, what kind of things to worry about? Would you ever mix creatine into Sunkissed Orange Zero? Maybe. I've thought about like you could sprinkle it over food, like mix it into rice. You would never know. That's true. You're right. If I'll tell you what, sun-kissed zero sugar orange pop might be my favorite thing in the world right now. Do you like orange pop more or Sprite Zero more? Mm. Probably Sprite Zeros because no one else other than you is allowed to have one. You guys drink a whole case i didn't even get I've, one i've had like maybe four then in the past six months lies you just wreck the what are they called sparkling ices those things yeah a whole case a <laughs> i thought you were gonna say the lacroix which no. i guess are supposed to be called lacroix oh if you're saying it correctly yeah for not just american pigs I'm going to go so hard this week on zero sugar orange pop and Sprite Zero. Why? I don't know. I just, I've been holding myself back. I think it's time to open the floodgates. What if we added on tap? I would drink almost, like, I would maybe drink only that. <laughs> we had can't, like a, can't do that. a double fountain station, like a Pepsi fountain station, but it's only two. And it is... Is that would these two be your picks? What would be your okay? So we have a fountain station we with the syrup have, in the back. Oh. I know, but I can't remember what we said. Oh and this, uh, what would be you have two two things? What's on on the Di fountain? Diet root beer and um, probably zero sugar orange soda. What about you? I don't know. That's hard because obviously I like Sprite Zero. And that zero sugar orange pop is great. Uh, but I also would like um, 
if we could ever find it again. Remember we found that uh, Diet Dr. Pepper cream soda? That mm. was phenomenal. That was good. Maybe We red... found it like once and that was it. A red Pop would be hard for me to pass up on. Diet Red Pop. What? Ooh, baby. What flavor is that? Red Pop? <laughs> yeah, because like... Science. Like orange soda, <laughs> you're like, it's fake orange. Sprite is like lemon lime, cherry. I think. Sure. Let's think. That's probably the closest approximation. <laughs> or strawberry. It, yeah, it's not. It's. I would say cherry. A it's just red. It's like don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like the, the flavor, flavor is red. Flavor is <laughs> like. What's with the questions? Do you like it or not? You know. All right. So I maybe would say, orange pop and red pop, with Sprite Zero is a very like honorable mention third. If I had a two. Two head tap system. All right. Well, that's not the subject of the podcast today. What is the subject? I don't know. You tell us. All right. I'll t- I will tell you. <laughs> tell you what. I will tell you. You tell us. Uh, the subject for today is when to change exercises. Do you change them every day? What every do you week. Mean? Do you change them every mesocycle? Do you stick with them for years at a time? Does it depend? Hint, it depends. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's start with Amanda, actually, because you were doing a few, you were doing one new thing that I noticed today. Yes. Maybe I just haven't seen you. Do you it. just haven't seen that day. Uh, but, yes. So you're doing good mornings. Yes. Barbell good mornings. High bar good mornings. Uh, but other than that, how often does your programming change? <laughs> My programming has been the same since July 7th of 2021. <laughs> right. They needed to know that one. The exact date. <laughs> yeah. So no changes really um, to that. I think I ran for the most part every single movement. Um, I took a load during that time and... Good mornings. I swapped out. So that was brand new. Uh, And then I switched from hack squat to Smith machine feet forward squats. Uh, Speak into that microphone. And that's it. I was trying to think if there was anything else. Uh, So So the, the one answer for how often do you need to, do you need to switch movements is you don't, you actually can keep running them potentially for years at a time. So long as you're progressing and you're not getting joint pain. So the the actual answer to that of how often should I be switching movements is you actually don't necessarily need to switch them so long as you did a really good job or your coach or whoever's designing your program did a really good job of selecting the movements in the first place. The caveat to that is that there can be sometimes gaps in um your progression or your kind of overall muscular stimulus, depending on how you choose your movements. But we're assuming if you chose them like perfectly for you, uh, you don't actually have to change them very often. So that's kind of the first thing. Uh, in many cases though, I think probably as coaches, we've this is a little bit on us, we've created a little bit of an expectation that they should change with the beginning of each mesocycle. So 
I think what would maybe make sense is why did we do that? Well, if we could explore why we sort of created that idea, because uh, it wasn't necessarily intentional. So what are your thoughts about that? Where did that come from? Uh, so I think for the vast majority of our clients, they come from CrossFit. Uh, and so it's that constantly varied, right? So they're used to having, or they were used to having things change all of the time. Uh, and so it can become boring to some people. Uh, if you what can, can I finish my statement? Yeah, then maybe ahead. you would know what I meant. Go ahead. Hit us okay. with it. Sorry. Thanks. Uh, movements, movements can become boring if, you just run them forever and ever and ever. Uh, if that's your thought process on it, like it should change. So then it does become boring. When in reality, there are certain movements that like we all, I think, love and like we legitimately could do week over week forever and never get tired of. Um, and so if you have that mentality of like, oh, no, it's it's supposed to change maybe four weeks, six weeks most, then it's going to all switch. Uh, every single movement that I do, cause you know, that's all I can do that for during that, you know, I can't progress anymore or I can't do any more weight or whatever the case may be. Uh, and that's not, not really true. So I think what you're saying, if I can summarize it is we did it to entertain people. <laughs> sure. Entertain it, people. So a lot of people are coming from a background where things are new every day. So obviously part of the calling card or the advertisement traditionally of CrossFit or traditional CrossFit programming was is basically new stuff every day. And so that's very entertaining. Um, and it certainly helps you develop at some level, at a basic level, many different skills. But you don't actually very get, get very good at anything because um, you're constantly changing. So we certainly don't do that. What we do instead is tend to keep movements the same for at least a mesocycle, which would be like four to eight weeks, three to eight weeks of programming. The issue, and this is a mistake that I made early on, was to keep people entertained. Um, I would change a lot of their stuff every mesocycle. And the reality is, is you don't actually have to do that. You really don't need to change things, especially if you're still progressing in those things. And if like, so if you've hit like a hard plateau with a movement, which takes about a mesocycle to actually figure out, um, or the movement is creating some joint pain or joint discomfort, then those would be very, very good reasons to, to change something. But otherwise, you don't really have to. Um, the issue with that is sometimes that can be somewhat less appetizing to people or take a little bit of time to get used to because the expectation is, is that that training at some level is is entertaining. So, Rye, two questions. Number one, first question, how long have you been running leg press? Uh, a while. I mean, generally a while. Well, a while and not a while. I'd say it at one time, 10 weeks. Currently, two. All right. Or No, that's a lie. Six. All right. Um, there was a time, though, where we ran it, I feel like, for like a year. Yeah, you probably. Yeah. 
I took I for me it was ten like ten took ten a little timeouts. Yeah. Ten weeks is a pretty good ten so ten weeks would be probably two mesocycles, and that's usually a pretty good run for a given movement, unless you're progressing. So the natural question is why would if if ten weeks is a good run, why would I keep leg pressing for nearly a year? And the answer was or is because I was progressing. I kept getting stronger at it, either more weight or more reps or both. I started to get to a point where I was getting more stimulus out of it. And it was not and does not cause me any sort of joint discomfort. It's hard, but it's it doesn't cause pain or anything like that. So there's no reason to take it out. Uh, now, occasionally, it can make sense to take something out just so it doesn't become stale. But that the amount of time you can run a given exercise before you need to do that is extensive. So those would be kind of the reasons why we would want to switch out things. And otherwise, you don't necessarily have to. Um, so why don't you guys talk a little bit about um, sort of periodizing programming, right? Well, so Yeah, so if, that is exactly it. So if you have run, let's say, let's take back squat. Let's say... First two mesocycles, you have back squat, and then you're going to, you have a, a quad focus thing that you want to do, but you want to do it in like the 10 to 20 rep range. Would you necessarily keep in back squat, which would be, well, let me just, I'll leave it at that. I won't bait you anymore. Um, I wouldn't, I would take it out because one, it keeps it, it keeps things interesting, right? So I, I like to back squat, but it's also extremely mentally and physically demanding compared to some other movements. So that gives you a little break from it. So that next time, you know, a couple weeks later, you're excited to do it again and get back into it. But also the fact that there's, there's other movements that are better for that higher rep range that aren't as fatiguing, but offer still a great stimulus. So maybe like a leg extension, hack squat, bear squat, sissy squat, stuff like that. Um, just because the generally the load maybe isn't quite as high, but you can have more, uh, you can kind of target your quads a little bit more. Um, so that would kind of be my stance. In theory, you could just run it and you could lower the weight a little bit and just go for a higher rep range, but maybe I'm just soft, but I don't really want to do more than 10 to 12, basically. And uh, I don't think that there's a great bang for my buck personally. Um, I think I get more out of other, other movements. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. And I think it is a way to explain to people, uh, their goals, right? Obviously this is kind of dependent on the equipment that you have access to. So maybe for some people back squat is really kind of the only option because it's your only squatting, uh, variation that you have access to because of the type of gym that you work out in. Uh, and so obviously then that kind of dictates your programming. Uh, but if there's something that you find allows you to get more mind muscle connection to your quads, then especially for that kind of rep range where you can really push it, why not do I that? I think the reality too, is that there's, it's at least for me difficult to, um, have that like metabolite feeling or develop that when I'm back squatting, even if I do 15, 16, 17, like I don't really get that metabolite burn as I would with maybe leg extensions or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I get obviously extremely fatigued, but not the metabolite 
burn that you're looking for in this situation. Yeah, it's more of a neuromuscular fatigue than anything. And it's also a situation where like it's easier to unload your quads in a back squat because you can just stand there and kind of rest and feel refreshed and kind of go again. Uh, whereas with leg extensions, like that, the goal there is 100% quad target. So if you're pushing with that, you're going to feel that burn. So I think you guys both brought up some very good and interesting points. They're actually somewhat different than what I was thinking. In my mind, uh, certain movements are much more conducive to somewhat lower rep ranges and back squat or front squat or barbell deadlift barbell based uh squatting and hinging movements tend to be generally more well suited for say the six to maybe 12 rep range or five to ten than beyond that because in not in every case and again if all you have is a barbell then then there are ways around this but optimally because other stuff starts to get in the way and limit how much you can push. So for example, with back squat, a lot of people don't really like to do like sets of 15, six, say 15 to 20, because your aerobic system starts to become a limiting factor. You just start to get too out of breath to keep going. Unless you're standing there for a really long period of time, and then your axial system, your sort of CNS, your spinal system, your low back starts to become the limiting factor like you maybe your legs could do more but your back is starting to round over because your low back is so tired from supporting the weight and so what we want to look to instead if we want to push a higher rep range maybe in your third mesocycle of hypertrophy training is to use movements that don't have that issue that don't have that limitation that allow you either to sort of kind of take technique out of it so something like leg press or hack squat or landmine hack squat would be really good examples because there's not a, a ton of technique involved. Certainly leg extension would be another example. But where we can look at your other sort of joints and systems as not being a limiting factor. The limiting factor is your squatting ability. So that would be an example of where maybe we, in the third cycle, we would take back squat out, even if someone was progressing, because it doesn't make as much sense for our goals of that cycle. So that would be an exception to the I'm progressing, so I'm going to keep it in. Another example of where maybe you would change exercises is if someone's training for strength, and let's say they're training for a powerlifting meet. And so depending on the phase of their macro cycle. So a macro cycle would be like their entire year or, or maybe two blocks strung together. Their movements might be, if they're training for hypertrophy within powerlifting, so trying to get their muscles as big as they can be so then they can make them as strong as they can be, their movements are going to look up one way. And then if they're training for general strength, their movements are going to look another way and then when they're peaking for their competition, that's a situation where they're almost exclusively going to do the three movements that are in the competition. We're going to take out accessories. So that would be a situation where an individual could be progressing across the board, but we're still going to change their movements because it makes sense within their larger plan. Uh, it doesn't make sense uh, if you're about to do a powerlifting meet 
to do to be doing you know lots of uh like wide grip bench presses uh to to make your pecs bigger uh right up until the meat what it makes sense is to do the exact hand position that you're going to use in the meat itself so that you get really really good and really really strong at that what are your thoughts about that yeah i think there's there's also kind of a deeper level that there can be like neuromuscular interference in terms of um like muscle variation or I'm not, movement variation as you get closer to meat. So, and, and the same thing as we were kind of talking about, things can get stale. Uh, if you're just generally trying to build muscle and look better, you kind of, if you're in a hypertrophy cycle and your end goal is to do a powerlifting meet or to be as strong as you can, we may want to stray away from our competition lifts and do other variants of that. So if you normally, you know, conventionally deadlift when you compete, maybe we're going to sumo deadlift and hypertrophy or frog stance or maybe do more stiff-legged deadlifts or whatever it may be because we don't want to completely just burn out that movement pattern or that movement itself but as we get closer we obviously don't want to be four weeks out from our meat and then finally switch back to conventional and then our our brain is trying to figure out how to become comfortable with that movement again so there's a kind of a fine line between times where you you want to stay away from your competition lifts and then times where you want to stay away from everything else. Um, so and that's what where you kind of said in terms of like peaking is most accessory movements kind of go away or only accessory movements that are very similar to the your competition movement pattern. So maybe incline bench press doesn't exist anymore and, you know, bent over rows, so things that have no correlation to your actual movement pattern go away and variations of your competition lifts come in. So maybe like a block deadlift or a deficit deadlift or something like that, um, or like a spoto press, um, pause squat, things like that, that still mimic the, the movement patterns and the competition lifts, but um, you're not straying too far from it and it adds some, still some variation. So I guess that was a long winded way and maybe a, a touch deeper than most of our, our people listening. Um, but there is a thought process behind when to stray away from your competition lift and when you should definitely move towards your competition lift. So I thought that there was an excellent uh, explanation of that. Another thing that we would see particularly within strength training, uh, but you can see this a little bit in hypertrophy training, is sometimes when you take a break from a given exercise, you keep the movement pattern in, right? So let's say you switch from uh, your normal bench press grip to wide grip bench press, and you don't do any normal grip bench pressing for a mesocycle or two. Sometimes when you return to that, your technique, once you've taken a week or so to knock the rust off, your technique actually improves a little bit. And it's because you were experiencing potentially before you kind of put that movement on the shelf, a little bit of staling. And so a period of time where you're not doing that movement allows it to become not stale. And you're able to sort of renorm your technique, which is just a fancy way of saying basically fix your technique. And we see this all the time. And I've seen it with myself is run something, run something, run something, run something, take it off. Uh, the programming list for a mesocycle or two or, or three, and then you bring it back 
and it actually feels better. You get a better mind-muscle connection. You're stronger with it, all this kind of stuff where intuitively you think you would be rusty and not as good at it. And so that's a situation where while we don't want to do that excessively or don't want to imagine reasons uh, why we want to take movements out, especially if it's a movement that's hard and you know it's effective, but you don't maybe you just don't like it because it's so difficult. You have to disseminate in your mind whether you're actually stale with it or whether it's just something that you don't like because it's uh, difficult. Uh, so I'm going to bring up another subject and kind of turn it back to you guys. Tell us about a situation where you've needed to put a movement that you have otherwise liked and it's been effective for you on the shelf because it was starting to cause some discomfort and then you brought it back later. Because I think sometimes what people think is this movement causes me a little bit of discomfort, so I'll never do it again. And that's that could be the case, but it's often not the case. Yeah, it's would say for me, hinging movements uh, and specifically the good morning. So that's something that's been removed from my programming for the last six months. Um, and it was because with it, I was starting to notice more issues with my low back. So I have two discs that I have bulged in the past in my low back. Uh, and because I was running good mornings for, I don't know, eight months, nine months prior to that, uh, it just started to become very aggravating no matter how light I dropped the weight, no matter how, you know, slow and controlled, uh, my hinge pattern was, I was just starting to have so much problems with my low back, um, that I just pulled it and I brought it back and it feels better than I ever remember it feeling before. And, you, and you've been doing hinging movements. So you've been doing stiff leg deadlifts, which is effectively the same movement yeah. the whole time. You just needed to give good mornings, a high bar, basically good mornings a break. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, my example maybe isn't quite as much of like a injury risk posed thing um or like discomfort but for me like a couple months ago i tried the machine fly so not the pec deck but the like seated machine fly um and it was like just wickedly uncomfortable it hurt my shoulder i felt like i didn't get any stimulus to my pecs it just didn't it seemed like i wasn't actually getting anything out of it um and just posing more risk for injury than stimulus um, but more recently I've tried it again and, you know, played with like seat position and hand position and arm angle and stuff like that. And I've learned that I actually do get a really good stimulus from it, but sometimes I just have to find the right spot to be in. So I would think the first time I kind of just jumped onto it and didn't really give myself a chance to play around with positioning to find a position that is comfortable and has a great stimulus um, so sometimes I think you just have to play around with it. So maybe, or someone's just had a really negative experience with whatever they're like, well, I, I've deadlifted before, but it hurt my back. So it's like, okay, well, most likely you didn't have anyone watching you or someone knowledgeable watching you. So let's try it again. And then people have a great experience where they're like, oh, it actually isn't that bad. So I think sometimes part of it is just ensuring that your technique and positioning is optimal um and you can get get more out of it yeah i think those are both really good examples um where 
maybe for Amanda, that was just, it was just time. You had gotten some, some staleness is starting to bother your back. There's nothing wrong with the movement itself. You get a really good stimulus from it. Otherwise you wouldn't have kept it into your programming for so long. Right. And then that's a really good example, right? Of you just needed to find your groove with a particular exercise. And when I think I've had experienced both, um, there's been movements. Uh, if there was a little while where squatting, particularly back squat and hack squat would irritate my right knee just a little bit, not enough that I couldn't do it or that it was really that big of a deal. Uh, but it just was time I knew to switch out those movements for other squatting movement pattern variations. So I did that for a cycle, knee pain went away and then I put them right back in because they're, you know, though they are very difficult and though they are psychologically very taxing and stressful, they're very, very effective. Um, so, and I've had that situation where I just, frankly, in, in, where I was saying, just wasn't doing a movement correctly and was getting some discomfort um, or wasn't doing it in the right rep range. You know, you try to do rear delt machine flies for the five to 10 rep range and it, it's going to hurt your shoulders, right? But if you do that, you know, you know, try to get your first, first set in the 15 to 20 rep range, then it feels a lot better. So I think the big takeaways as we kind of wrap this up or um, you need to have a viable reason to switch out a movement because you don't want to blunt your progress because you're bored. That being said, it's going to make sense at some point to take a given movement out, even if it's for only for a cycle. And even if it's your favorite movement, you're going to find some staleness and sometimes giving it a little bit of rest is just what you need to keep on progressing subsequently. Yeah, I think that summarizes it pretty well, uh, that if you are a person who programs for yourself and you're changing movements weekly, uh, probably not a great idea for you to get the most bang for your buck. Uh, stick with the movement. Once you stall, then then think about switching it up. Love it.